Welcome to Sports Connections with David Smale, a podcast that brings fun and interesting connections throughout sports. As an author and sports journalist, David has been interviewing fascinating people in sports for more than 40 years. Now here's your host, David Smale. With the 2020 Olympics finally getting underway later this month, we thought we'd spend some time on some of the sports that you may not know a lot about. The first sport we'll investigate is competition climbing, which will make its debut in Tokyo this summer. And by the way, I know it's 2021, but the Olympics were postponed a year. John Bergman is a sports writer and the author of High Drama, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Competition Climbing. He reports regularly on competition climbing for outlets such as Climbing and Gym Climber magazines, and while also serving as a senior editor for Climbing Business Journal. He's a Fulbright journalist, journalism grant recipient, and holds a master's degree from New York University. He'll do his best to explain the sport to, to us in a way that we'll be excited uh, as excited as he is about the impending uh, competition. So, John, welcome to Sports Connections. Thanks, David. It's great to be here. I, I'm a fan of the show. You and I, we follow each other on Twitter, and I know of the show and stuff, so I'm, I was very honored when you reached out to me to ask me to come on. It's great to be here. All right, so obvious question. You grew up in Indiana. You told me this earlier. Um, how did you get involved in competition climbing? Yeah, I think my interest in competition climbing really it's all founded on my interest just in climbing in general um i actually was introduced to climbing when i was a freshman in college i the the rec center at my my university had a at the time this is long ago but at the time it was a pretty state-of-the-art climbing wall and um so i i tried it somewhat on a whim and just fell in love with climbing right away and and being a, a sports fan in general, just kind of my whole life, I I followed sports. I you know did track and cross country and all that, and so it just kind of seemed natural that any anything that I was interested in, especially anything athletic, I was going to kind of gravitate to the competition right. angle. Um, and so so I just followed it as a fan for many years. This is pre-internet, you know. I would just go to the magazines and check out the competition results and stuff like that. Uh, that coincided with my, my writing career was kind of taking off, so to speak, as an editor at different magazines and whatnot. And, and then just eventually it, the stars aligned and it coincided where my, my writing and my career um, intersected with the competition climbing stuff and I could write about it and report on it. And, and so here we are. Yeah, I, I thought maybe you were going to tell me you, you grew up climbing the, the 12,000 foot peaks in Indiana. <laughs> Um, so. Right. I, th- we're keeping those a secret. Nobody else knows about them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very well <laughs> hidden. That's kind of, that's hard to do. So um, now you told me recently that there was a possibility of competition, excuse me, competition climbing being included in the Olympics as far back as 1992. So why did it take so long to get approved? I think that's a really good question. You and I, before we recorded this, we were kind of batting th- some of these topics back and forth. And I told you, I, that's a, the same question that I've wondered for much of my career, and I wish I had a definitive answer. Um, I should preface all this by saying, I, of course, I was not involved in the discussions between the IOC and all that. This is just all kind of educated guessing on my part. But I have asked that question to various people involved, and it ends up, the response ends up being something like it's very complicated. But I, <laughs> I, I think there are a couple reasons. First of all, the, the explanation I tend to get is that it took a long time, decades, you know, for, for 
the climbing world and the climbing industry and the climbing federations that wanted it to be an Olympic sport. It took them a long time to change some of the perceptions of the folks at the IOC and kind of convince the IOC that the climbing was basically worthy of being included in the Olympics, right? These are the IOC people, a lot, most of them were not familiar with climbing. And so there's this perception that it's this extreme sport, right? That's how climbing is sometimes marketed incorrectly, I think. But um, I think that was, that was the main crux is that the, the federations and specifically the International Climbing Federation had to convince the IOC that it's not this really dangerous thing. It's not this sport for adrenaline junkies and, and whatnot. It's actually very athletic and, and methodical and, and assuming it's all done correctly, it's very safe. Uh, it took a long time to change those perceptions. And I, I think something else that coincided with that um, was if you, if you think back to when climbing was first announced as an Olympic sport, which was in 2016, they announced that it was going to be in the 2020 Olympics. Right. Um, the IOC's announcement specifically said, we want these new sports, including climbing, including skateboarding, including surfing, these new Olympic debut sports to help us grab the young demographic. They, you know, they actually specifically cited that. And I think that that was just perfect for climbing because really starting in the late 90s, when climbing really started to get some, some momentum as a sport, it was really the kids that were driving it, right? The, the parents would take their kids to the climbing gyms for birthday parties or, or whatnot. Right. Um, the adults would climb, but the kids would also climb. And, and I think the, the climbing industry realized very quickly that if you get the kids, it's the little league model, right? If you get right. the kids hooked, you get the parents hooked, potentially you get maybe the kids siblings hooked, maybe the, the kids friends and friends of friends. So the, the climbing world realized very, very early on that the, the kids were kind of the way to go for the industry in terms of growth. Um, and it just kind of as luck would have it then, uh, you know, a few years later, a decade or so later when the IOC is starting to think about, oh, what sports are, you know, what sports could help us kind of grab that young demographic? Well, here was climbing this sport that already had this robust youth movement and stuff. So I think those were all contributing factors to it. Yeah, you know, that's a great explanation for somebody who didn't know the reason. You, you explained it very, very well. Um, it's interesting, though, you talked about new sports and surfing and uh, skateboarding. I mean, I remember I'm 62. I remember skateboarding in in the 1960s and thinking, you know, this could be a competitive sport and stuff, not having any idea there'd be skate parks and, and stuff like that. These aren't new sports. They're just new to the Olympics and they're, they're gaining popularity. Like you said, with the kids that maybe those of us, you know, my generation and, and even older. Yeah. They've been around for a while, but the competition side of it is really catching on with the younger people. I think that's exactly right. Uh, to those people, I'm sure skateboarding has its same sports riders and cohorts that, you know, as, as sort of the equivalent of what I do in climbing. And I'm sitting right. here saying, well, it's about time, you know, because yeah. we've been wanting to be in the Olympics. And, and even it, like you pointed out, if, if you look back in climbing magazines, even in, by the, in the late 80s, they're mentioning, oh, this could be a potential Olympic sport someday. So um, it's not a it's it's not a surprise to those of us that follow these sports, but that doesn't mean it's any less exciting, right? It's still a thrill 
um, it's just kind of felt like it's a long time coming. Yeah. And, and I was going to ask you the next question. What other than it's about time, what was the reaction across the sport? So it's interesting because I think the reaction was universal excitement because I think anybody that is even somewhat understanding of sports business and economics knows that to be in an Olympic sport, it's, it's a, a great thing because it means more eyes on the sport, right. more money coming into the sport, that sort of thing. Um, but this kind of leads into another topic, which is the, the format that climbing will be contested under at the Olympics, because I think the, the format that was announced that um, confused some people, upset some people because it was a new format and we can get into that. Um, but I, I so I think it was happiness, but then it was kind of right away. It was like, huh, what, like, how is this going to be contested? I, I think it was sort of those, both those responses. Uh, so let's talk about, that's a good transition. Let's talk about the, the different disciplines in the sport. I want you to describe them and just talk about the preparation for it. And let's start with speed climbing up a 15 meter wall. Now that doesn't sound too bad until you convert it uh, to the imperial system. I think it's, that's what the opposite of metric. Uh, that's 50 feet. <laughs> so <laughs> speed climbing up a 50 foot wall. Talk about how that happened. Yeah. So speed climbing, I think it's, it's probably easiest to understand speed climbing if we sort of loop in the other disciplines as well. And I can kind of explain how they're, how they're different, how they're similar. Um, so you have in the Olympics, there will be three climbing disciplines that are, that are, combined together. They're calling it a combined discipline. Now, the three disciplines in and of themselves are not new to the competition climbing world at all. The thing that is new and the thing that I mentioned kind of gave people pause or kind of upset people is the three disciplines are going to be contested together sequentially. The easiest analogy is it's like a triathlon, right? Okay. So, you're, so the, every athlete, every climber at the Olympics will have to do all three of these disciplines in a row um, and then get a score from, you know, a cumulative score from all three of them. And the so reason, let me, let me yeah. interrupt you then. So there's Please. not individual medals for each of the three. Is that correct? That's right. And this was a very big thing because the IOC, when they, when they announced climbing could be in the Olympics, they told the international governing body of climbing, the Federation, they said, we'll give you, you know, you'll be in the Olympics. We'll give you one set of medals. And I think that that put the Federation in a tricky spot because in their head, it's, it's like, well, what do we do? Because you, if we choose just one of these disciplines, it's going to upset the other people that are enthusiasts for the other disciplines. But, but even more than that, as we were just saying, if something becomes an Olympic sport, it booms, right? So the, there's this risk of if we just choose one discipline, the other two are going to kind of fall by the wayside because all the money then is going to go into this, this one discipline. So that was playing into the, the eventual decision to say, well, rather than just choose one discipline, let's combine them all, even though it's never okay. really been done, let's combine them all into this triathlon type of type of format. Okay. So let's, um, let's go back into the, yeah. the different, and the, and the three are speed climbing, uh, bouldering and lead climbing. So let's start with speed climbing. Yeah. So speed climbing is uh, it's, it's the goal is for the competitor is to, to get to the top of the wall the fastest. And there's literally a buzzer at the top of the wall. You, you climb side by side against another person and you, you race up it. And whoever gets to the top quickest, there's a buzzer up there. You slap the buzzer and you get, you get a time. Um, and it's, a, it's contested in a bracket style elimination 
format. So, so, you know, you and I would race and then the winner would advance and then two other people would race and the winner would advance. And eventually you would come out the, you know, the, the grand champion of the speed climbing, something like that. No, if I get to the second one, I'm lucky, (laughs) but go ahead. (laughs) Well, and so the, but the unique thing about speed climbing in comparison with the other disciplines, and I think something that really caused some consternation and contributed to being upset by some people about the combination of the disciplines is uh, speed climbing the route is the same no matter where you go in the world the competitors know the route they train on this route um so the just like a, a sprinter you know he knows the 100 meters like there's no there's right. no surprise in terms yeah. of like what the 100 meters is going to be so muscle memory becomes a, a key part of it because the competitors they're not just training to to climb i mean we mentioned the the 15 meter thing but like the length the length is not going to give them any any pause. They're in shape. They can do the 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 height. What is tricky is it's all the little nuance, just like in sprinting. It's hey, your elbows should be this way and your toes should be pointed this way. All those little things that can cut off milliseconds while you're climbing. Those those are really the key to getting a, a good speed time and, and winning the races. That's very different than bouldering and lead climbing, the other two disciplines in which the route is different every competition and the competitors don't know the route before the day of the event. And so for bouldering and lead climbing, there's a real aspect of not just climbing, but, but solving the climb, right? Puzzle, uh, the puzzle of how, right. not just getting up it, but how do I get up this, right? At, at the rudimentary level, it's almost like, okay, do I go with my right hand on this hold or my left hand? And is, is my body gonna then be con- contorted in the wrong direction? Right. It's there's this this um, problem solving aspect to it that's totally absent from speed climbing, speed climbing. Like I said, they know the route. They they train on it. They memorize the holds. They could literally almost probably climb it blind by the time they you know, they train for the Olympics. Um, So that just illustrates how different the three disciplines are or, or particularly how different speed climbing is from these other two disciplines. Okay, And and then the the champion, as we said, is a, a composite score. But describe the process. It's not, you know, it's not like you get 10 points for finishing first and seven points for finishing second or anything like that. Talk about how they get a score and how the uh, end result gets the, the, you know, gets them the medal. Sure. It's, it's, it can get really complicated, but the easiest thing to remember is the lowest score wins for the Olympics. The lowest, the person who gets the lowest score is going to get the, the best, the best medal, the best place. Um, and now each individual discipline has its own nuance, of course, to the scoring, right? Speed climbing is pretty obvious. Whoever gets to the top, you know, and wins that bracket tournament, they will be in first place um, heading into the other disciplines. Now, bouldering and lead climbing get scored a little differently. We can get into that. But at the end of the day, what matters for the Olympics is your place at the end of each event. Okay. Um, because that is what is going to be ultimately multiplied for your final score. So in other words, if, if you are in the Olympics and you get, let's say you win speed climbing, that's first place. Let's say you get second place in bouldering and then you get second place in lead climbing, right? So first, second, and second. Your combined score is gonna be one times two times two. Your, your combined score is gonna be four. Um, oh, so it's, com- it's not added, it's multiplied. It's multiplied, huh. right? Which is, so compared to me, let's say I get second place, is, this is not my strength, math off the top of my head, right? But let's say I get like second place in speed climbing, 
uh, third place in bouldering and third place in lead climbing. So it'd be like two times three is six times times three, right? Is, is going to be what 18. So like your score of four is going to be way better than my score of 18. Um, so in that case, you would finish with, you know, with the, the higher place in the Olympics. Okay. So I've got two questions about that. It, yeah. the, the key, first of all, is to be consistent, to not have an, an eight or a nine or a 10, because that, that just, it's not just adding that many more spots. It's multiplying that many more. So the key is consistency across all three disciplines. Is that correct? That is correct. I mean, you can see how a, a low placement, if you're doing multiplication, like a low placement can really wreck your score, right? If you get like right. 20th in, in an event, you're that, like 20th times anything other than first place is going to be really bad. Right. Um, but it's interesting because since this is all new, um, there's, there was nobody heading into this combined discipline, heading into these Olympics. There's no, there was nobody that was a specialist in all three of these disciplines, unlike mm -hmm triathlons which have this this heritage at this point right there are people that right. do triathlons there there was nobody that's like i do the combined disciplines so so what you had was you had some competitors who qualified for the olympics who are experts at speed climbing but maybe they're not as good at bouldering and lead climbing um so you have kind of these two schools of thought that emerged one is if i'm a specialist at speed climbing well maybe my goal should be win speed climbing and then just kind of like stay, don't get last in the others, right? And hope that right. my multiplication will end up being okay. And then there are other competitors who adopted this idea of, well, maybe I should try to, you know, it, as it would be hard to win a discipline, but maybe I should just try to get like middle of the pack for everything right. Right. and be kind of an all arounder. Maybe that would end up being the, the best score. So there's kind of some game theory that emerges here. That's never been around in competition climbing before that, that makes it pretty interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I, you think about, um, the decathlon, which is 10 events. And even though they're not multiplied, you know, they get scores uh, for how close their, uh, their time or their distance or whatever their, whatever their metric is for that particular discipline within the sport, uh, their score is based on how they relate to the world record for that sport. And then, so they get points for that and the total number of points, but it's an addition thing rather than a multiplication thing. And so yes. I think that makes this really, really intriguing. The second question that regarding the scoring is you talk about it being a bracketed. Well, it's easy to figure out who finished first, who finished second. And I think I watched, actually watched a little competition since the first time you and I talked. Yeah. Um, the, and third, fourth are, are competing against each other, um, you know, to see who gets third. Beyond that, do you just tie for fifth? And then the next one, you get eight people tying for ninth. And so you get that number nine or do they, do they, you know, finish them out for, if there's 16 competitors, everybody competes, whatever number I was an English major. So I don't remember the number. I think it's five times. Everybody competes yeah. five times. You finish, you're battling for 15th place. You understand my question? Yeah. Are we talking just in speed climbing or in the cumulative? Um... It, any of them. If you're going to, if you're going to multiply, um, you know, there's a big difference if you're if you lose in the first round and you tie for ninth because you don't have to compete against the other eight that lost in the first round. Yeah. Um, so do they do they finish? You do out? see. Yeah, you do see ties in 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 the scores for competition climbing. Um, you do see um, sometimes to if they need to separate, what they can do is they can count back to previous rounds. Right. Because the Olympics okay. will have a a qualification and then, a, and then a finals. Um, 
what's really interesting too for the Olympics is is this idea that probably nobody, because the sport is so new, probably nobody is going to win every discipline, right? right that would be, right. I mean, that would be incredible. It'd be certainly a, a phenomenal Olympic moment, but just because this, because nobody has, has done this event um, at the Olympic level before, uh, it's probably going to be something, somebody that does well, but maybe doesn't win every event. Right. Um, so you're right. There is going to be some interesting, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how the final scores parcel out. You but know? my question, John, is that, you know, so let's say there's 16 competitors and I don't know how yeah. many there are, but just for, uh, for simple math, that means yeah. that eight of them will lose in the first round. So do those all, do all eight of those tie for ninth? So they all get multiplied in that discipline. They, their number or their other scores in the other two disciplines tie, uh, get multiplied by nine or do they, do they figure out who's ninth, who's 10th, who's 11th and so on speed climbing? They can do it by time. Mm-hmm. Um, do, so they do, they don't compete head to head like they do for the top four spots, but do they then settle them based on, uh, based on the, the time or the, like with the bouldering, how many, how many boulders they hit. And if they're proceeding, then they get a plus sign and stuff like that. So yes. Okay. Yeah. I understand. Yeah. They, they would parcel out the the ties because in, in the other disciplines, bouldering in particular, the most important thing is getting to the top. Of course, there are three boulders. The goal is to get to the top on the first try of every, of all three. Um, But there are kind of holds halfway up the wall. That's kind of like a, a, a partial point, so to speak called the zone hold. Um, and so it, it's, it's kind of like tops and then it would be like, well, who get, who got the most zone holes? Maybe you didn't get to the top, but you got halfway up it. Right. And then if it's still a tie, you go down to, well, how many attempts did it take you to get to the top? How many attempts did it take you to get, to get to that halfway, um, that halfway hold? So there, there is a way to, to sort of separate the, the, um, you know, the scoring down to, to that nuanced level. Yeah. So it's, it's possible. And I didn't, plan to spend this much time on the scoring, but this is really fascinating. And this will help Mm -hmm. those of us who have never watched it other than one morning on ESPN two, when I turned it on and, and I had to go take a nap after watching it because it wore me out. Um, (laughs) Those of us who don't, who don't really know the sport, it will help, but goodness. I mean, I, you could find somebody who is, you know, who has, has big guns, who's really good at the boulders and, and the maneuverability, but they have no speed whatsoever and they could finish 16th. But if they win the other two, which seem more similar, the bouldering and the lead climbing, they're, they're more similar to each other than speed climbing. They win those other two and finish 16th dead last. They'd finish with a score of 16. They could win the whole competition. Couldn't they? They could. Yeah, they could. They certainly could. And, and I think, um, that, that might happen, you know, um, that very well could happen. I think what's interesting, and again, what kind of gave some of the competitors pause about this combined discipline is that the skill set, to your point, is is really yeah. different for all yeah. three of them, right? Like speed climbing, since, since you know where all the holds are and stuff, it's really like leg strength, frankly, like becomes a big thing because you're yeah. just like, you're, you're kind of literally like running up the wall at, <laughs> at the times that they do it at the elite level. Yeah. Whereas bouldering is... The idea for bouldering is it's really hard single moves, right? So it's a lot of just uh, power, you know, power coordination, all that stuff. And then lead climbing, the last discipline, I don't think we talked about it yet, but the object there is to just get the highest. You want to get the higher than anybody else. It's going to be a pretty hard route. So presumably several people will fall at different points along the way. 
uh, endurance plays a big part in that because you might have a wall that's really high. You might have to do 40 to 60 moves. Um, so it's kind of like these three disciplines um, really speak to a different skill set. And, and again, going back to what we said, it's very unlikely at this debut level that we're going to have somebody that is, is, you know, in top form at all three of them. Um, so yeah, to your point, we might very well see somebody that, that kind of bumbles and then gravity play, of course, gravity is like this big X fact. You could be the best speed climber in the world, but one slip and, and you, and you're, you're off the wall and there goes yeah. your, you know, um, your turn or a false start or something like that. Yeah. So. The, the event in late May that you, you told me about, um, I watched on ESPN two and the favorite in the speed climbing slipped and both in the semifinal and in the, in the consolation round, I don't remember what you got, what it was called, but slipped and ended up finishing fourth because, you know, just that one slip away kept him from, kept him from advancing because it's not so much, you're not competing against the clock in that bracketing system. You're competing against the guy next to you. And if you slip and he doesn't, he's going to beat you. Yeah. And at the, and at the world cup level, at the Olympic level, a false start, one false start and you're, you're, you're out, you know, you scratch just like in sprinting. So you can, but even if, if, even if you don't, even if you have a good run, you start fine, but you maybe get, I mean, think about the difference between fourth and first compared to that multiplication scoring system. Like you would look, you know, in any normal situation, you might say, okay, fourth, well, that's not that bad. There are 20 competitors in the field, but it's like, well, that, you know, anything multiplied by four, that's going to, that's going to really make a, 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 pretty significant difference so yeah that's cool all right uh, yeah. let's, let's transition here a little bit um who who are some of the favorites and i know there's men and women's competitions i'm guessing they're they're similar um in, in structure and stuff like that so who are some of the favorites that we should look out for and i'm sorry we're going to focus on the american team right you got a team usa flag over your over your shoulders so sure. let's talk about american favorites yeah, American favorites. So luckily, there were four Americans that qualified in the climbing. They maximized their quota. The most any country can have is two men and two women. And some countries don't have four. You know, some right, countries right. didn't qualify. Um, but the Americans did. There are f- so there are four Americans. They are uh, b- the two women are Brooke Rabatou and Kyra Condi. And the two men are Colin Duffy and Nathaniel Coleman. Um I, it's interesting because they are all very, very different. Um, you look at the, after the IOC announced this format, this combined format, national federations started running their own combined discipline because they thought, yeah. oh, we should kind of like, you know, practice this both for the athletes and for the fans. Um, and so the standout in that regard has been Kyra Condi. She's won the the combined invitational is what it's called the national kind of combined championship that, that the United States has held in the past. Um, so Kyra Condi is certainly, she's one to watch. She's got a very compelling story. She actually, anybody that wants to kind of dive into her backstory, she actually had severe scoliosis and spinal fusion. And wow. she, as a teenager, she was actually told, you know, you'll never, you'll never climb again, let alone compete or something like that. And she actually, she ended up making the Olympics. So I always, I see that. I'm like, this is like tailor made for Olympic storytelling. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But her, but it's interesting because her, her, um, her compatriot, Brooke Rabatou, the other American woman has had a really stellar start to this world cup season that's going on right now, um, which is not contested in the combined format, but uh, Mm. it still seems to be, it's interesting that, that Brooke Rabatou really is, is kind of peaking right now. So I, I hate to give sort of the, the, I don't know what you'd say, like the, the, the PC answer, but it's like, you could really kind of choose either one of them to do really well. It's yeah. really a pick yeah. between the two. 
Um, in terms of the men, Nathaniel Coleman is a multi-time bouldering national champion. So champion. So his specialty discipline in the past has been uh, bouldering. He could very easily, you know, place very high in the bouldering discipline. Um, and, but and he's proficient at lead climbing, and he's and he's a good speed climber too. So so I don't think it'd be any surprise to see that Nathaniel Coleman could end up on a podium. The the fourth American is a is the kind of the kid the the child phenom. He's 16. Well, he's 17 now. He's 16 when he qualified for the Olympics. His name's Colin Duffy. He's an interesting case because I think he's one just because of his age where a lot of people saw him on the youth circuit and they said, Oh, he'll be one for 2024. Like he'll yeah. be someone to watch for the next Olympics. Well, he ended up qualifying this year, uh, which kind of surprised a lot of people, including us, us pundits who follow the sport. But um, you know, he's, he's a, a bouldering and lead specialist, but he's had his own, personal best speed time. He's broken that a couple of times in the last couple of years. So he's coming up as well. So it's interesting because uh, the Americans are really all arounders um, at, at the combined discipline, whereas some other countries, they have people who are clearly like, oh, you're a speed specialist or yeah. something like that. Um, but so it makes it really compelling to watch the Americans because I think they could do really well. Well, and that goes back to what we were talking earlier, that it's almost it's almost necessary to be uh, well-rounded because you could, you know, you could be, you know, you have top three or four in, in, in one of the disciplines or even two of the disciplines. But if you're fourth in two of them, there's 16. And then you go uh, and you finish 16th in the third one. That's, uh, I don't know, 200, what's 16 squared, 256. No, it's more yeah. than that. So I think it's it a is. lot. It's yeah. a lot. Yeah. You're not going to be on the podium. <laughs> So, yeah, and I think yeah, I agree. I, I think the, the everybody agrees that it probably is best to be an all arounder. I think yeah. the fact is, it's just you know saying that you should be an all arounder and 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 becoming an all arounder is yeah. two different things. Like you know, these people, like for example, Nathaniel Coleman, who we were just talking about. You know, he's been bouldering since he was like a, a little kid. Brooke Rabbitu learned to climb when she was like two years old, right? Yeah. So so it's the. The disciplines that they've been proficient at, they've done it for the, their whole life. And then right. to all of a sudden say, oh, well, you also need to be equally proficient at <laughs> speed climbing or lead climbing. It's like, well, yeah, that's a, it's a good goal. But, um, you know, you can't get world class at, at these things in just a couple of years of training. So but I do agree. All arounder is probably the way to go, especially as this if this discipline, the combined discipline continues into the future. All right. Well, you've got me hooked, man. It's it's going to be must, much 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 wait a minute let me try that again it's going to be must watch tv so what are the dates when when will it be aired uh on nbc do you know that information yet i, I you know i don't know that information because um i haven't seen the nbc schedule um in, in terms of what what um, disciplines are going to be broadcast um or, or whether climbing you know how much of it will be broadcast yeah. and whatnot I'm, I'm imagining that they would because it was included as a sport. To, they want to get the young demographic, right? It would make right. sense that they would want to highlight it. But um, but I don't know. I do know, though, that I just got word that, you know, Peacock, the NBC streaming platform is going to stream kind of everything, all the qualifying rounds and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so the best that I can offer is just say that, that it, it will be at the Olympics, and but the schedule has not been released yet. So, okay, so do um, we can unfortunately, people will have to yeah stay tuned for that. Do you know the dates of the competition? Ooh, uh, I, I'll tell you what, I could message you. I have it in my planner that's over there. I could message you after this. We could put it in the description or something, maybe. Okay, that sounds good. Um, so those of you, well, 
at the, you know, we write a description before each one. So we'll say coming up Perfect. on such and such date. So yeah, good way around that. So will you be in Tokyo or will you be covering it remotely? Yeah, I'll just be watching it as a fan, uh, just like everybody else. I was, you know, I was hoping to go, kind of thinking I might go, um, but then the pandemic being what it was, yeah. limited media, so um, I won't be one of the few media that's going. I have some colleagues that are going. I'm excited for them. They've, yeah. they've told me it's going to be, They've uh, rightly so, they've been told that the description is like, you stay in your hotel, you go to the, you know, you go to cover it, and then you go back to your hotel, and that's that's kind of it. I think it's going to be pretty stringent. Yeah. But no, I'll just be watching on on uh, on TV, on on. Peacock Network, just just like a fan. All right. And um, you've been to some of the events. I know you were in Salt Lake City recently for the World Cup. What was the what was the event that you were covering in in Salt Lake? Yeah, there is a World Cup. All of these separate all these Olympic disciplines, bouldering, lead climbing and speed climbing, they have their own World Cup circuit that's right. going on right now. The Olympics actually kind of falls at the in the middle of the World Cup circuit for all of these. Uh, but the the speed World Cup circuit is going on right now, and the Bouldering World Cup circuit is going on around uh, on right now. Events all over the world, right? And then the Lead World Cup circuit will start a little later. But I was just out in Salt Lake. They had a speed and two Bouldering World Cups uh, last weekend, and so I was out there covering that. And I think the next one is at the end of June in Innsbruck, Austria. There's going to be a um, a World Cup that happens there. So, um, just talk about the atmosphere for the fans. You know, we've got a climbing wall in my church and and you, you see, you know, people, well, nobody my age, but people maybe your age or my my kids age um, going up the wall. And it's really kind of it's fascinating to watch them do it. And then you see the four and five year olds that don't wait for their parents to come over and they'll just start climbing. It's like, you know, they're 10 feet up and like, wait a minute, you're not attached to a rope. Get down. What's yeah. the atmosphere at one of these events? Is it would you describe it as tense? Um, but what, what would you, how would you describe the atmosphere at an event? It can be tense. I I've been to a lot of sporting events. I love all sports really. And I love going to live sports and I, I can tell you, I mean, I'm a little biased of course, but I, I think when these competitors do well, for example, when they just this past weekend, the, the speed climbing world record was broken in Salt Lake city. Um, or when a, when a competitor gets to the top of a boulder, uh, after a, a number of tries, I mean, the crowd erupts, it, the yeah. crowd roars, standing ovation, all that thing, anything, any kind of high spot that you can imagine for any other sport, it's comparable to competition climbing. Um, it's, it, you know, the, you, of course, you sit there and, and you kind of wait patiently, almost not quite as quiet as golf or something, but, you know, <laughs> while the competitors like thinking yeah. about the, the route and stuff, you're, you're kind of waiting there. And then when they do these big moments, um, it's it's just it's phenomenal. It, anybody, if anybody listening to this has a chance to go to an event, I highly recommend it because just like all sports, the way to, to take them in is really, you know, to be there in person. And, and you don't really need to understand the finer nuances of the sport to know that, hey, that guy beat that guy up the wall. He's fast. And yeah. that's a that's a high wall. and He just ran up a 50 foot wall. Uh, that doesn't take a lot of knowledge of the sport to recognize how phenomenal these athletes are. Oh yeah. And like, I mean, you know, we got into the nuance of the scoring and stuff, but at the end of the day, the, you don't want to fall. Right. So you can, anybody yeah. <laughs> that watches knows that if a, if a climber is still on the wall progressing upward, that's yeah. good. And if they're dangling from a rope, you know, if they've fallen, uh, that's not good for their score. So there is a, certainly a, it is really easy to consume in that sense. Uh, even just like a, 
a very base level. Yeah. All right. Um, I, I appreciate you spending so much time with us today, John. This has been fascinating. I'm really looking forward to uh, to following the sport at the Olympics. Where can people find your work? We've mentioned three different magazines that you're doing. I'm sure you're doing plenty of stuff online that if people don't have the ability to subscribe to the magazine, they can at least find your work. Where, where can you send people for that? Yeah, I have a website. Um, it's www.johnbergman.net and they can go there. There's links to all my writing. There's links to my social media. Um, there's links where they can buy my, my books. Um, I, if they want to follow me, if they want to just go straight to Instagram, I'm on, it's at JB climbs is my Instagram handle. Um, and like you said, I, I write for climbing magazine, Jim climber magazine, climbing business journal. So just kind of searching any of those titles as well with my name will lead to some stuff. All right. And I always let the people, um, when I'm interviewing them and, and it's going to be a little different because a lot of times I'm interviewing the athletes or the coaches or something, but as a journalist, um, what is your legacy? Yeah, you know, I hope that, um, I mean, what I'm trying to do at the end of the day is just celebrate this sport and share it with, with more people. I I'm fortunate to write about this sport and I'm fortunate to write about this sport at a time when it is growing and it's booming. And so I hope that I can play a small part in, in the positive growth of the sport. That's, that's really all I want. You know, I, I hope that people read my stuff and, and get psyched about the sport because at the end of the day, I'm just, I'm a fan and I want more people to know about this, this sport. Um, because I think, I think it has enriched my life. It's enriched a lot of the lives of people I know. And so I kind of think if more people knew about it, maybe they could, you know, maybe it would enrich their lives as well. Maybe, maybe it would be something that they latch onto, um, for the better. So yeah, that's what I hope my, my work does. It's interesting, John, there's, I, I know an awful lot of having been in journalism for more than 40 years now, I know a lot of journalists that aren't aren't fans of the sport. It's their job and, and they're covering it and they're, they do a really good job of telling people what happened, but they're really not enjoying it. And then there's others who are just like, I, I got to know Dick Enberg really, really well before he passed away. And um, we were talking one time about all the different sports he did pro and college football. He did major league baseball. He did college basketball and the NBA. He did Wimbledon. He did golf. And I said, Dick, what's your favorite sport? And his answer instantaneous was what season is it? And he just, Great. he loved being at the events. And I finally pinned him down and he said it was Wimbledon was his hmm. favorite thing to, to broadcast. But he said, I just love being at the events. And so I, I think to, it's much more difficult to be a good journalist to talk about um, uh, you know, talk about the, the event you're covering and to get people excited about the event you're covering if you're not excited about it. you agree? I absolutely agree. And I think that, if anything, the pandemic this past year, I, it's, I don't know if you'd want to call it a silver lining. As, I mean, it was a horrible thing. But, but if anything, it just kind of underscored personally my fandom because when all these, just like all sports, right, all the competitions for climbing were canceled and, and gyms were closed and all of that, I wanted, I wanted to watch the events. I wanted climbing to come back just as a fan. I just, I missed it. Right. I, and, and of course I missed writing about it too, but, yeah. but first and foremost, I just missed having competitions around. I missed watching them. I missed, you know, texting friends about what happened and other journalists about what happened and stuff like that. So I think that the pandemic just kind of really hit home with me that, that, yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, we're, I'm just a fan. Like that's, yeah. you know, that's what really underscores my love of all this. So. All right. 
Well, John, this has been a great pleasure. I appreciate you spending the time explaining the sport. We're going to have to stay in touch because I need to know what time to turn on the Peacock streaming network. If it's not going to be live on the NBC station, I need to be able to turn it on and watch this. So I appreciate you sharing your excitement with us and uh, appreciate your time. Thanks, David. I really enjoyed this. Really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Sports Connections with David Smale. Make sure to subscribe, follow, and rate the show from your favorite podcast platform. You can learn more about David Smale and his work by visiting davidsmalebooks.com. Don't forget to join us weekly for new episodes. Until next time.